from the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Welcome. Thanks for joining us for this Monday edition of Washington Watch. Coming up as Israeli Defense Forces prepare for a ground assault in the south to neutralize the threat from Hamas, they could soon be fighting in the north with Hezbollah. The uh, escalation from Hezbollah is real. Uh, the role of Iran is very real in this. Um, you know, Hezbollah has 100,000 rockets that could overload the Iron Dome itself in Israel. We do not want that two-front war. Um, and so that, that is a great concern. That was Chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Michael McCall, yesterday. We'll get a live update from Israel in just a moment when freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton joins us. House Republicans returned to Washington, D.C. today to pick up where they left off in the effort to select a new House speaker. Based upon my conversations with members over the weekend, the process is driving the division among Republicans even deeper. We're going to get an update from Texas Congressman Keith Self a little bit later. And could the world be spinning out of control in part because the U.S. has chosen to focus on the wrong priorities? We've made human rights for LGBT around the world a top priority in my foreign policy, increasing our assistance to brave activists on the ground, defending human rights in countries to pass anti-gay laws. That was, uh, yeah, that was President Joe Biden this weekend at the nation's largest LGBTQ organization, HRC's annual dinner in Washington. Retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin joins us for that conversation. Well, speaking of misplaced priorities, what about misplaced dollars that actually fund those misplaced priorities? Could the billions of U.S. dollars in aid to the United Nations Relief and Works Agencies for Palestinian refugees be the seedbed for the horrific October 7th attack by Hamas? Itamar Marcus, founder and director of the Palestinian Media Watch, joins us from Israel later for that conversation. Our word for today comes from Paul's letter entitled Ephesians from chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. You see, God had a plan before the foundations of the world. Jesus Christ dying on the cross was not God's plan B because of some unforeseen complications with humankind. This was the plan of a sovereign, all-knowing, and all-powerful God from the start. God's plan is for us to be holy and without blame in a relationship with Him by His grace through faith in Jesus Christ. His grace is what saves us, and through this grace, we become children of God, a part of His family, and that is a blessing. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to frc.org slash Bible. With the Israeli Defense Forces continuing to amass troops near the Gaza border, officials throughout the region anticipate a sustained ground assault that could last weeks as Israeli soldiers hunt Hamas terrorists who are able to blend in with civilians and operate in the network of alleyways and tunnels that have been used to move arms and launch attacks on Israel for years. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu today and his war cabinet in Tel Aviv. While the Wall Street Journal reports that as many as 2,000 U.S. soldiers have been selected to prepare for deployment to Israel in a non-combatant role. Joining me now live from Jerusalem to report on the latest is freelance war correspondent Chuck Holton. Chuck, welcome back to Washington Watch. 
Hi, Tony. How are you? Uh, good. I've, I've seen some of your reporting. What's the latest uh, that we're seeing there on the ground? Uh, well, it's been a fairly quiet day. I mean, you know, people heard about these horrible attacks on October 7th, but they might not realize that those attacks really have not stopped. Uh, Hamas fired something like 5,000 missiles on October 7th, but they have continued firing missiles every single day, almost every hour of every day since then. And so uh, I've been down in the South just a couple of days ago so, uh, on Saturday. We were down in Sterot. Uh, there were rockets coming overhead on a minute-by-minute basis. Uh, we went out and visited uh, the kibbutz at Be'eri, where these Hamas terrorists had gone in and butchered the little children, women, old people. Uh, absolutely horrific. This is the kind of things that you cannot unsee. And they were still rooting terrorists out. Those 1,500 or so terrorists that came across the border on the 7th have not all been found. They, they've gotten almost all of them. But even today, there was some more that they were able to find and, and neutralize here inside the sovereign territory of Israel. So it has been uh, pretty busy for the IDF, even as they prepare this ground incursion. Uh, Chuck, I have the, the red alert on my phone for my trips to Israel, so I, I'm tracking those uh, rocket attacks that can are just almost, you know, minute by minute, we're seeing them uh, come across uh, in, into various parts of Israel. Let's talk about those terrorists that are still at bay. Are they just hiding or are they still trying to perpetrate terror there in Israel? Well, the only way that they're finding them really is because they are still perpetrating terror. Uh, the one that they found today, I believe, was uh, it came out on the road and was shooting at cars that were, were going by. Uh, I don't think there were any injuries uh, to speak of except for, and that's because everybody is now armed. I mean, everywhere you go, you see people with you know, uh, the standard capacity magazines and M4s uh, out just slung over their backs as they go about their business. So uh, it's not likely you're going to see a lot more casualties from that. The real question on everybody's mind right now is what's going to happen when this uh, ground incursion begins? Because the the troops are ready. They're just waiting for the the word to go in. Uh, The question everybody else has is, what will Hezbollah do in the north once that happens? And what will Iran do as well? And I think that's why you're seeing the United States announcing, they haven't sent any troops yet, but announcing that they plan to send American troops into Israel in a non-combat role, just doing medical stuff. But the fact that there are American troops on the ground in Israel should make the, the, the group of Hezbollah and even the Iranians think twice about getting involved. They should function as a deterrent, just like we did when uh, we had troops in Turkey, I'm sorry, in Syria, right. to deter Turkey from invading and uh, taking on the Kurds. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the sense here is what's going to happen once they go into Gaza. Chuck, let's talk a little bit about that um, incursion into Gaza the, as they move into um, the northern part of the Gaza Strip. We're, talk, we're, we're hearing about the humanitarian crisis that's unfolding there. Israel warning the civilians to move, to move out. Uh, we're getting reports Hamas blocking them from leaving you know, extensive network of tunnels, 
we know that they hide things under schools and hospitals. They hide behind civilians. What do you anticipate and, and what are you hearing as this invasion seems to be imminent? We talked to a master sergeant in the IDF today, and uh, he just told us that uh, they are not going to stop until they have performed a Hamasectomy on Gaza, and uh, they, they are ready to let slip the dogs of war. Um, and he was all kitted out, had his weapon, he was ready to go. And he said, as soon as we get the word, it is on. I think that uh, one of the things that we're hearing here is uh, that the longer they wait, it actually may work in their favor because since they've cut off power and fuel and food and that sort of thing, uh, it just makes it the puts the defenders at a disadvantage the longer they wait. Also, the weather has been pretty bad here. Uh, for the last couple of days. There's been a lot of rain. And uh, when we were down at the border on Saturday, I saw more armor in one place than I've ever seen in my life. And I've been doing this for 20 years. Uh, a lot of Merkava tanks, uh, Mark IVs, uh, a lot of their specialized uh, turretless tanks that they've modified for street fighting inside Gaza. Uh, and so all all preparing to go in but the thing that struck me was the that dust. It was dry that day, and that fine talcum powder dust that you only seem to find in the Middle East uh, that just gets into everything. The right. only thing that's worse than that dust is when it rains and that stuff turns to mud because then it's like like super glue. And uh, so they they may be waiting for it to dry out a little bit before they go in. Chuck, uh, another thing we're hearing, and of course, you know, the the choir of the international community, t t you know, that are going to tell Israel to, to dial it back it is going to get louder and louder. Part of what we're hearing is humanitarian, that they're not allowing humanitarian aid in on the southern port part coming uh, from the Sinai Peninsula up in that area, down in that area. Is there concern that these shipments of humanitarian supplies may well be supplying Hamas and uh, rearming them? Well, yes, uh, and the Hamas terror organization, without a doubt, is weaponizing its own people, uh, and they're weaponizing their misery. Uh, they want the Palestinians to be miserable. They want many of them to die as quote-unquote collateral damage, because when, when they do, that's really their only hope of shifting the tide of public sentiment against the Israelis. And of course, there are a lot of people in the United States and around the world now who are already predisposed to being uh, for the Palestinians and against the Israelis. And uh, the what the People we've talked to here, especially people in the IDF getting ready to go in there, is that if you are, if you find yourself on the side of uh, having to justify people who behead babies, maybe you should take a long, hard look at your worldview. But uh, I'll tell you that these troops are uh, marshalling in the South within sight of the kibbutzim that were attacked during that first uh, October 7th in, incursion into Israel. And so they all they have to do is look right over there, and every one of those soldiers knows exactly why they have to go into Gaza. Chuck, you, as you said, you've been doing this for, for 20 years. You've been all across, uh, all around the world. 
when you look at Gaza, one of the most densely populated areas, they've they've got a, th these networks of tunnels where they've been launching these attacks on Israel for years. Uh, how long do you think it's going to take them to to do that Hamas-ectomy that, uh, that Master Sergeant talked about? Urban combat is the most difficult form of combat there is. And they say that uh, statistically, it takes four times as much ammunition, four times as much manpower, and four times as much other resources to win in an urban environment. An urban environment favors the defenders uh, over the attackers. And, uh, you know, there's just so many angles. It's all about geometry in an urban environment, so many angles to get shot from. Uh, and so it is going to be a long difficult slog. Uh, of course, the Israelis have trained for this. They've, they do have plans in place for this. But if they're having to, to bring in, you know, they had 145,000 or so troops that were ready to go when this started. Uh, but now they're looking at probably 400,000 uh, troops. Not all of them will go into Gaza, of course. But uh, when we were down there, I could tell uh, these guys know they've got a long, hard fight coming. Now, uh, Israel will likely get quite a bit of help from the United States in doing so, uh, not necessarily by boots on the ground or infantry or right. anything like that. But with right. these two uh, these two ships offshore, they've got aircraft and stuff that they can do a lot of signals intelligence, a lot of j signal jamming, things like that, right. that should help the Israelis. Chuck, we're out of time. Uh, thanks so much for staying up late over there and uh, joining us. We'll be checking back in with you. Thanks for being with us. Sure thing. God bless you. Stay safe. All right, folks, we're coming back after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. 
Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks for joining us. Hey, I need your help on something. We are trying to gauge where our listeners and viewers are tuning in from, and we're doing a poll. And so if you wouldn't mind, it would be very helpful if you would take this poll. All you have to do is text POLL, that's P-O-L-L, to 67742. You get a link. Just tell us, are you listening on uh, your local radio station? Are you watching on NRB or his channel or one of the other uh, TV platforms? Just let us know. It would be very helpful as we uh, plan to expand Washington Watch across the country. Again, take the poll, text POLL to 67742. All right, day 14 without a House speaker, and Republicans anticipate a full House vote tomorrow for speaker. We're supposed to meet in conference this evening. The nominee, Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan, is believed to be short of the necessary votes to obtain the gavel, but they're going to move forward with vote anyway, which is different than what we saw last week with Majority Leader Steve Scalise, who did not press for a floor vote without having reached the 217 votes. So, where do things stand? Joining me now to discuss this and much more, Congressman Keith Self. He serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee and the House Veterans Affairs Committee. He represents the 3rd Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Self, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to see you. Good to see you, Tony. Thank you. So, where do we stand on a House Speaker? Well, I will tell you, Jim Jordan is making great progress today. As you say, there are some holdouts, but uh, Jim has has converted several of those today, a handful. And uh, frankly, I believe that either tomorrow or the next day, we will have Jim Jordan as the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, will they go to the floor for a vote uh, before reaching that uh, magic number of 217? Uh, yes, they will. Uh, Jim has already said that we are going to the floor probably on Tuesday about noontime, uh, and that's the way the current rules read. Uh, there was an amendment in conference uh, that said we would reach that number in conference before we went to the floor. It was defeated. So Jim is operating under the current conference rules. Okay. You know, one of the things I'm hearing out there, it's, it's kind of astounding, that there's some discussion or chatter about a compromise with Democrats among Republicans? I can't imagine Republicans would join and elect a Democratic speaker. No, that's not going to happen, Tony. Uh, that's media chatter. Uh, I think the uh, uh, those people that would even consider it to know that that would be the death knell 
uh, of their campaign, of their uh, uh, their time in Congress. Uh, that is not going to happen. I, I want you to put that one to bed. Yeah, I, I, that was a little far-fetched. Let me, I'm going to switch topics here. America's biggest security threat remains its poorest southern border. I mean, you know that. You're from Texas. Recently, two right. Iranian citizens were apprehended at the border, and they're raising red flags uh, th- that they pose a significant security threat. What do you know about that? Well, I will. I know that we have thousands of military-aged foreign males coming across our southern border. Uh, we've talked about the Chinese often, but uh, the numbers from the Middle East, various countries, are also thousands. So it is a concern because if we catch two, how many got away? I mean, we all we know are the numbers we catch. We have no idea of the gotaways, and I will tell you, probably in the thousands of military-aged uh, males. Well, and, and, and we get a little taste of what we saw last Friday, where we saw protests across the country, pro-Hamas protests. We saw these uh, demonstrations on college campuses. And, and Senator Marco Rubio is calling on President Biden to cancel visas for, national, uh, for foreign nationals supporting Hamas in the wake of these uh, horrific attacks on our ally Israel. Um, I, I, this look, I don't think we have to let guests stay in our country who are who are cheering the brutality that was conducted by Hamas on our friends. Uh, Tony, this is just another example of the Biden administration enforcing the law. The law is already on the books. If you are a foreign alien and you do these things, then you will be ex- uh, uh, expelled from our nation. You will have your visa revoked. Uh, the law is already on the books. The Biden administration, as the southern border, as many things, they simply need to enforce the law that we have today. And I think that's what Senator Rubio is calling on him to do. Do, do you anticipate the Biden administration doing anything to uh, to remove these foreign nationals from our country? No, given the fact that there are Iranian sympathizers at high levels of the Biden government, I have no expectation that they will enforce the law. You brought that up. I talked about it last week. You got a couple minutes. You're on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. The the Biden administration appears to have been infiltrated by Iranian sympathizers, to put it nicely. What do you know about that? Well, there are two people whose names are thrown around. Um, One is still with a very high security clearance, is the chief of staff, for the Assistant uh, Secretary of Defense uh, for Special Operations. And I will tell you, that is not an area that we need to have an Iranian sympathizer uh, occupying. There is another one who is actually under investigation by the FBI, whose security clearance has already been revoked. Uh, So these are two known Iranian sympathizers. And uh, I think that uh, we need to be pushing for the Biden administration to expel Iranian sympathizers from their administration. There is no reason for a known sympathizer to have a high security clearance in the administration. Uh, it, it shocks me that they can even get a security clearance. I mean, I've, I had a clearance when I was at uh, the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. And to get a security clearance, you've got to go through so many hurdles. I cannot believe with those types of connections and relationships, they could even get one. Well, I don't know how they do either. For my TSSCI and even higher clearances that I held in the Pentagon, 
uh, the pages and pages and pages of personal data that you fill out. I think the form is a 298. Uh, it is very intrusive. There is no way that they should be holding these types right. of clearances. No in, way. In, in any conversation you have with a foreign national, you've got to report it. I mean, it is it is quite uh, quite extensive. Well, Congressman, I want to thank you for joining us and giving us an update today. Keith, always great to see you. Great to see you, Tony. Thank you so much. All right, Congressman Keith Self of Texas. All right, could the world be spinning out of control in part because the U.S. has cho chosen to focus on the wrong priorities? We're going to look at the foreign policy priorities of the Joe Biden administration when we return. And guess who's going to join me? You got it. General Jerry Boykin is here next. Don't go away. We're back with more Washington Watch after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this uh, Monday. As I mentioned, I need your assistance. Uh, we need to know where to put our efforts and energy in promoting Washington Watch. So let us know how you watch or listen to Washington Watch. Simply text poll to 67742, and uh, you'll, we'll send you a list of the different ways you can tune in, and it'll be very helpful to us. Again, text poll to 67742. By the way, elections in Louisiana over the weekend, my home state, and um, just a, a few t results when we looked at the iVoter Guide. The iVoter Guide was something that uh, we partner with other conservative Christian organizations, and um, quite a few people use the iVoter Guide, in fact, uh, enough to, uh, to make the difference between Jeff Landry's victory in this 
race. He won in our jungle primary in Louisiana. He won outright with 52% of the vote. And he was uh, one of the candidates who completed our iVoter guide. And he, um, he won in a crowded field of 15 candidates, which is quite significant. Jeff's a great guy. I've worked with him closely for about 20 years. Look forward to having him as the governor of Louisiana. Conservative rated, uh, rated Republican Nancy Landry uh, completed the I Voter Guide candidate questionnaire in the Secretary of State's race, and she ran top in that race. She didn't win outright. She got a, she'll have a runoff. Uh, and in the Treasurer's race, verified conservative rated John Fleming, good friend as well. He came out on top. He will be in a runoff, but he's another one that completed the I Voter Guide candidate questionnaire. And then in the uh, Bessie District 7, if you live in Louisiana, uh, Kevin Birkin, he ran uh, top. And he completed the iVoter Guide candidate questionnaire as well. So uh, close to 20,000 people use that to cast their votes. So no matter where you live, you're going to be able to access iVoter Guide for your elections to know where these candidates stand on the issues. So be ready, be registered, and be prepared. We must pray, we must vote, and we must stand. All right, every day, every day, every day, brings new reminders of the threats to our national security from foreign adversaries. Wars in Israel, Ukraine, China's continued aggression, the relentless relentless attack on our southern border, this invasion that's taking place. But despite these major concerns, should be concerns or concerns of mine, they should be of concern to the Biden administration. It's not, though. It's not where they put their focus Over the weekend, President Biden speaking at the Human Rights Campaign, the largest uh, LGBTQ organization, out of his own mouth. This isn't me. This is him. This is where he said the priorities of his administration are focused. Play this clip. We made human rights for LGBT around the world a top priority in my foreign policy, increasing our assistance to brave activists on the ground, defending human rights in countries to pass anti-gay laws, Joining me now to discuss this and more, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, who serves as the executive vice president here at the Family Research Council. He spent his last four years of his 36-year military career serving as the deputy undersecretary of defense for intelligence. General, any surprises there from the president's comments? No. I mean, how could it get any worse? Uh, Tony, this is, if you just stop and think about it, what do you think the Russians think of us? What do you think the uh, Chinese think of us or the, the North Koreans? What do you think they think of us with rhetoric like that about our priorities? They know that we're not taking it seriously. We're not putting our best foot forward. And that is simply because I don't know who is influencing our president, but uh, he's in being influenced by a, a group of people in a very negative way that has given the whole world a, a really a reason to pause and and look at America for what we are. And uh, I think that's frightening. General, I don't think the president in his remarks Saturday night at that event was just blowing smoke to try to impress this group. I think he's right. I mean, I think he's being honest. That is the top priority. And I think uh, the the exhibit A is what's happening in Ukraine. Exhibit B is what's happening in Israel. Exhibit C is what's happening in China with Taiwan. Exhibit D is what's happening in North Korea with Little Rocket Man. Yeah, I I, I agree. 
but we also have to recognize that uh, he's not coming up with this by himself. And, uh, and how long has he been a believer in what he's saying now? I mean, I think there was a period of time where he was against same-sex marriage, for example. And, uh, and now who's pulling the strings here? I mean, it's, this is another example of, uh, of how he's being manipulated. And he has, I, I don't honestly think that he really believes that uh, these same-sex marriages and this uh, uh, transgender stuff and all is really good for anything in this country. Uh, you may say, well, he's a, he's a believer. Well, I don't think so, I, but that's just my opinion. But the policies, General, 30 seconds, how dangerous are these policies to us as a nation when you look at national security? They make people doubt us. They make the, uh, all of those enemies that I just talked about earlier, that makes them doubt us, doubt whether we're serious, doubt whether we're capable, doubt whether we're ever going to get to where we need to be militarily. And I think that that's, uh, that's something we ought to all be concerned about. Elections have consequences, and we're seeing that play out right now. General Jerry Boykin, always great to uh, have you on the program. Thanks for, uh, for joining us today. Good to be with you. Folks, again, elections have consequences. And, and, I, and I believe when he says the priorities of this administration as foreign policy priorities are to promote the LGBTQ agenda, we see it. It's the, the unholy trinity, abortion. LGBTQ and climate. That is the top. Those are the top three issues for this administration. All right, when we come back, we're going to kind of connect the dots with foreign policy funding when it comes to the Palestinian Authority and what happened on October the 7th. Itamar Marcus joins us from Israel next. Don't go away. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold 
or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. FRC, celebrating 40 years with Congressman Dan Bishop. You guys are more important in my daily life in D.C. than you can possibly imagine. I appreciate what you do for all Americans who are of faith and who want to see their faith consistent with and, and respected by government in Washington. We have an important task. It's not always easy. Uh, but every day that you're there doing what you do makes it more makes it easier and more possible for me to do what I do. Thank you. That was our friend Dan Bishop from North Carolina. We've got a number of men and women on Capitol Hill that we work closely with each and every day, and we uh, we appreciate your ability or the ability you give us to work with them, and also the feedback that you give them uh, from this program. Uh, many of them are on this program, but others hear from you based upon what you hear on this program, and that's very, very important. By the way, I would uh, we're going to be taking a, kind of a survey this week. I, I, I want to find out the means by which you watch or listen to this program. It's going to help us as we decide where to put our emphasis and uh, where we can uh, build and, and increase our audience. So if you would like to help us, and I would ask that you do, do me a favor, is take the poll and let us know how you are getting Washington Watch. Just text the word poll, P-O-L-L, to 67742. That's 67742, the word poll. You'll get a link. And then just select how it is that you are watching or listening to Washington Watch, and that will help us to decide where we put our emphasis. Again, the word poll to 67742. That would be a, a big help to us if you wouldn't mind doing that. So last week on the program, Congressman Chris Smith of New Jersey and I had a discussion about the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for Palestinian Refugees, or UNRWA. Now, th this, um, this is an entity from the United Nations that the U.S. has poured billions of dollars into. Now, this was established back in 1949, and UNRWA was supposed to be a temporary international solution to the Palestinian refugee crisis. But it has become a permanent political and diplomatic entity that has not only kept Palestinians stateless, it has poisoned generations with anti-Israel, anti-Semitic indoctrination. Now, keep in mind, UNRWA gets about a billion dollars. Their annual budget's about a billion dollars. That's a lot of money. 
58% of this is earmarked for education. What kind of education? Well, audits of the educational material, which include children's TV programs, that are funded by UNRWA, teach children to loathe Jews. They question, it causes them to question the very existence of the Jewish state of Israel. It justifies jihad and terrorism to promote, and to, it promotes martyrdom in the name of jihad. Now, in 2018, as a result of disinformation and the work of conservatives, the Trump administration eliminated U.S. funding, tax dollars, to UNRWA. Now, that decision was reversed last year by the Biden administration as they not only restarted U.S. contributions, but the Biden administration gave them additional tax dollars. Now, I first learned of this situation probably about 12, 13 years ago when I helped coordinate congressional trips to Israel. And we would go over and we would meet with government officials, non-governmental leaders, religious and and uh, civic leaders, and one of those individuals that briefed us on how U.S. tax dollars were being used to indoctrinate children. It was shocking. Uh, I just say, it was, uh, in fact, last week I had uh, Senator James Langford. He was in the House at the time. He was with us on one of these trips. It was shocking, and he's been one of the ones that have cons- has consistently worked on this. But this indoctrination was teaching children to hate Jews, and as I said, deny the very existence of the state of Israel. Well, with me now to talk about this, Itamar Marcus. He's the founder and director of Palestinian Media Watch, and he joins us from Israel. Itamar, good to see you. Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you. And and, and just know that uh, our listeners and viewers here in the United States are praying for our friends in Israel as uh, this is unfolding even as we speak here tonight. But we are uh, we're, we're praying for for you. Uh, and I know you have members of your family that have been called up to the IDF to serve. And uh, just know that uh, there are a lot of folks here in the United States that care deeply about what's happening over there. Thank you very much. We very much appreciate uh, all the American support and our friends in America. So, Itamar, you first uh, exposed me to what was happening through the Palestinian Authority and through the monies coming through UNRWA. And you've documented a, a decades-long uh, pattern of the Palestinian Authority's promotion and glorification of terror, indoctrination, anti-Semitism. Tell us what you have been tracking all of these years and where it stands today. Well, uh, we, we've been tracking our first report on Palestinian school books, believe it or not, was in 1998. Uh, and they were filled with with poison um, at that time, I was representing Israel in negotiations with the Palestinian Authority and uh, on incitement, and Americans were also in the negotiating committee. And I remember when we brought the school books uh, report to the committee, um, the the American representative said, I, I read this material and I wanted to vomit. Uh, it's just unimaginable. This was 1998. Americans condemned it then. Um, and the United States continued funding continued funding the Palestinian Authority year after year after year, knowing what was happening already then. Um, and we kept doing new reports. So we kept reporting on their messages to kids. Uh, I have to even say we did a report in 2007, which I decided to release in the Senate. And I turned to Hillary Clinton. I wanted a Democrat. I didn't want someone who would be automatically pro-Israel. Uh, and she appeared at a press conference with me 
uh, in the Senate. And she said the words um, at the uh, after my presentation, uh, she said, the Palestinians are profoundly poisoning the minds of their children. And that was 2007. I call the Palestinians who are running through the streets today murdering Israelis, the Hamas, as well as the Palestinian Authority, Fatah people, the mainstream, they are the poisoned generation. They were brought up on, on hate, on demonization. Uh, and, and that's what we have today. And, and, I, and as you said, and as I said, the Americans funded this. Uh, right up until the Trump administration. So, Itamar, that, that's the reason I, I'm talking about this, because uh, Americans are shocked at the information that has come out at what happened in this invasion of Israel by terrorists, Hamas terrorists, and, and what they did, the brutality, the just what, what, what I've described here in this program multiple times as demonic, what they did. But we, we, we shouldn't consider this in a vacuum. And that's why I want to have this conversation with you. This has been decades in the preparation. When you teach the type of stuff, and I want you to give us some examples of what is contained in these textbooks that would cause people to see Jewish people as subhuman, allowing them to do what they did to babies, to women, innocent civilians. Well, I'll just have to give you a quote. You talk about subhuman. Just a few months ago, the, the an advisor to Mahmoud Abbas. Mahmoud Abbas is the head of the Palestinian Authority. He's seen as the moderate. He has a personal advisor on Islam. And, and he went on TV. His name is Mahmoud al-Habash. He went on TV and he said that the Jews have been the enemies of Islam since the beginning of time. Literally, he says, since the time of Adam. Uh, which, of course, is ridiculous, but uh, that's what he said. And then he said, today, um, uh, the Jews are fighting with Satan. And more than that, when you see a human and a Jew, it actually might be Satan in the form of a human. Satan in the form of a human. So when you talk about uh, dehumanizing, he literally said it, uh, that the Jews are subhuman. A another talk he gave a little while back, and, and he said that the Jews are humanoids, humanoids, creatures that Allah created in the form of humans, but aren't really humans. So you've got the top religious figure in the Palestinian Authority. He gives almost all the sermons on Friday, and his message is that Jews are actually subhuman, uh, either Satan or, or animals, uh, but they're humanoids. So of course you can kill them. Um, we've had another religious figure repeatedly talking on TV uh, about uh, humanity will never be able to live with them, which is why at the end of time, Muslims will fight the Jews and kill them, uh, leading to the Jews' extermination. And then humanity will be safe after the Jews are exterminated. Now, you have to understand what this means. This means that the Hamas fighters, uh, terrorists who went into Israeli towns and were killing children and infants, they believed they believed because of Palestinian Authority teaching, they believed they were doing a service to humanity. They believed that they were bringing the redemption closer because they were eliminating Jews from the world. Uh, this has been Palestinian. The first time we heard this message from the Palestinian Authority, this was before the turn of the century. Uh, we heard it in 1999, 2000, and it's continued until today. Kill Jews, you're saving humanity. This is in the textbooks. 
And it's in the textbooks because what they do is they quote a hadith. It's an Islamic tradition attributed to Muhammad. It's it's part of Islamic law. Uh, and it's uh, it goes as follows. I'll quote it to you. It says, the hour of resurrection won't come until Muslims fight the Jews and kill them. Jews will hide behind rocks and trees, and the rocks and the trees will say, Muslim servant of Allah, there's a Jew behind me, come and kill him. We have seen this in the textbooks. We have heard it from sermons. Uh, what they're saying, the hour of resurrection, the end of time, the redemption of humanity is contingent on the extermination of Jews. And, and the Palestinians, uh, in this case, tragically, are a very religious people with 95 to 98% of them saying that religion is important to them. So you've got all these people believing that Allah wants them to kill. I have to point something out. When they were running through the streets and murdering Israelis, a lot of the films showed them yelling the words, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. That means Allah is the greatest. That is also screamed out from the mosques when they're having worship, Allahu Akbar. They felt that the murder of Jews was worship of Allah. That's how outrageous this is, and that's why they were killing Jews. Itamar, the we we talked about this. The U.S. is funding. We we fund UNRWA. We fund the Palestinian Authority. In fact, just in, just in June of this year, uh, an additional one uh, one hundred fifty three million dollars was given from the, to the from the United States to to UNRWA to the United Nations Relief and Works Agency for the Palestinian refugees. And as I as I point out at the top of the program, about fifty eight percent of this goes into education. They also have television programs, kids programs uh, that also are used to indoctrinate children. Absolutely, we've heard uh, children's programs on Palestinian Authority official TV, owned and controlled by the PA, where they where children have said they've learned in school to hate the Jews and kill them. We've had many many chants on children's programs where they talk about the Jews being the descendants of apes and pigs. Uh, we've had the same quote over and over again. The children, are, uh, the Jews are descendants of, uh, of apes and pigs. And one of the worst things that they've taught these kids um, is that they should go out and die for Allah. Uh, that that if they go out and they get killed fighting for, for Islam and fighting against Jews and they're killed, that's the best thing that can happen to them. Instead of seeing death fighting, you know, death as something terrible, they've told the kids that death is actually something admirable. Um, but, when, death, when children... but death in pursuit of violence of destroying the lives exactly. of others. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's we different case... than, than even from our Christian faith, where, you know, Jesus said, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. It's not dying to take someone else's life. It's dying to save someone else. This is the reverse of that. They're being taught to go and kill people, and it's glorified if they die in that process. In the last year, we have probably had 10 examples of children um, under 15 or around 15. We had one 14 who left farewell letters uh, telling their parents that they didn't want them to cry uh, over them and that they should be happy over their death. And they went out uh, grabbing a gun, grabbing Molotov cocktail. They went out when Israeli soldiers were around, hoping to be killed. We know this because they left farewell letters. We have had not 10, but we've had dozens and dozens of parents on TV in the last year, literally dozens, who said, my son sought martyrdom. He achieved it. Praise Allah, my son achieved martyrdom. 
by the way, this is something shocking. Everybody thinks it's a joke that the that Palestinians talk about the marrying um, the 72 virgins in paradise. Well, so many of the mothers whose sons were killed have gone on TV and said, I'm very happy for my son. I'm going to accompany him to his wedding. There was a grandmother of a terrorist who said that before he went out on his attack, he showered, put on his best clothes, put on cologne, and went out hoping to die. He literally dressed up as if he was going to a wedding. So in the West, wow. we think it's a joke. But the Palestinians take this seriously. These teenagers who've never been with a girl in their life because of um, Islamic law, they are going out there hoping to have 72 women who are going to be theirs, and they're literally preparing themselves and going out to die. Uh, Itamar, we're, we're out of time. Just one other point I wanted to make, and, and that is that in this education, Israel isn't even on the map. They're, they're, they're taught that Israel doesn't even exist. So how can peace be brought forward when they're denying the very existence of, of the Jewish state? Very quickly. It can't be. Uh, they, they, they deny Israel the right to exist as a state, and they deny Jews the right to exist as individuals. Those two and, together make this impossible. And we're paying for it. Itamar Marcus, thank you so much for joining us. We continue to hold you up and uh, all of our friends in Israel in our prayers. Thank you very much. Folks, uh, out of time for today, but we're going to talk more about this. The United States should not, should not be funding this. All right, until next time, remember the Apostle Paul. Pray when you've taken your stand, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.